folks, welcome back to Chris White Africa here on the Indaba Africa channel, part of the Indaba Broadcast Network. It is Thursday, June 10th, 2021. Welcome to the channel. It's a pleasure to have you back with us once again. Let's get straight to the headlines from across Africa and around the world. Apparently, President Cyril Ramaphosa in South Africa is lifting the threshold to allow businesses and communities to escape the broken thresh, the broken confines of the state power utility ESCOM, increasing the size of alternative power sites to 100 megawatts. Does he have this power? Was it as simple as that? The president simply says, okay, the private sector can com compete. Now, if for some reason, President Rob Posa seems to think that this will deliver electricity to South Africans tonight or tomorrow, then he really needs some mental health care because this is a long-term process and long overdue for that matter. Tito Mbweni, South Africa's finance minister, his clueless finance minister, has joined the chorus call of shameful finance ministers from around the planet, including the Federal Reserve or the, the Treasury Secretary here in the United States, Janet Yellen, demanding a global minimum corporate tax rate in the interest of equity. Screw your equity. Earn your way. United States has relaxed travel advisories for those seeking to travel to places in Africa, like South Africa and Kenya, reducing the concerns about people's health and welfare. So perhaps this will increase some travel to South Africa, particularly now that United Airlines is flying daily direct flights between Newark and Johannesburg. Andre de Reuter, we've covered this previously, the CEO of the state parastatal ESCOM, who took over less than 18 months ago, has worked wonders in such a short period of time. Not in service delivery, that's something that needs lots of attention and is a long-term issue to be dealt with. You can't fix that overnight because the state utility provider is so broken that it will take many years to fix South Africa's electricity crisis, assuming the best of leadership and intents. Well, you have great leadership now. Andre Dorota once again lowering the South African power provider's debt load from over half a trillion, trillion rand by nearly 93 billion rand, lowering it down to around 400 billion rand. That's quite an amazing feat in just 18 months in the midst of all the crises and the false accusations that he was a racist which diverted a lot of attention from the company over a corrupt official who was seeking to cover his actions by using the false flag of racism once again. Long-serving Chief of Defense Forces in South Africa, General Salishoka, has retired, and his replacement is General Rudizani Mpawanya. Botswana's Public Officers Pension Fund, with a 83 billion pull under of assets under management, that's about 7.85 billion U.S. dollars, 83 billion pull of assets under management, has appointed a South African firm to manage its 156,000 members' transactions. And Lucara has done it again, folks. The Canadian Diamond Company, which is active in Botswana, taking disused mines that the government sold it rights to explore and finding one amazing large diamond after another has uncovered and recovered a 470 carat diamond from the Caraway mine, one which the government gave up on years ago. And the Canadian company thought with their techniques and improved exploration ability, they would be able to step in and find diamonds. And in fact, they have. Some of the largest diamonds in history have been uncovered at the Caraway mine in the past few years by Lucar. President Eric Masisi 
is in Tanzania for a state visit, where he'll be discussing the introduction of Swahili into Botswana's curriculum. As someone who learned Swahili a long time ago, <laughs> it's not useful. South Africa is doing the same sort of thing in effort to take an African language and make it a lingua franca. Ironically, they're going to take one of the most flexible African languages, one that is heavily influenced by Arabic, German, English, and Portuguese, and make that the African language. They don't get the colonial angle there. I guess that's just lost on these African leaders, but there you have it. Ethiopian Airlines turned 75 years this year, their 75th anniversary, and they ended 2020, unlike virtually every other airline in the world, in the black. Ethiopian Airlines had a profitable 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. When air travel declined by 69% across Africa, Ethiopian made money. Now, how does that happen? The government of Nigeria has decided to abandon Twitter and has moved over to Coup. If you're not familiar with what Coup is, I'll let you know about that as we get into the details shortly. Demanding debt relief from Western nations, an East African bloc of countries is gorging on new debt. While they're telling people that you are racist and you're unfair and your system is unfair to us. You must forgive our debt, but give us more money. Do you not see the irony of East African nations demanding debt relief, <laughs> getting it, and now gorging on more debt? Exactly what I predicted would happen because they're not sustainable. They're governments which don't collect taxes properly, which don't exercise governance properly, simply live off the largesse of the West and then blame them for their woes. And Africa's sick joke, the Pan-African Parliament was the scene of fisticuffs in South Africa recently as members of this joke organization which sucks money out of Africa to pamper and to pad the pockets of people appointed to the Pan-African Parliament, which has no sovereignty, no jurisdiction over any member states. It's a sad, pathetic joke an effort to duplicate monkey see, monkey do, what the Europeans do or what America's government looks like. No value whatsoever. And Bojo, Boris Johnson is under fire over concerns about Northern Ireland and the border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. This of course was one of the main sticking points when it came to the whole Brexit discussion a few years ago. It was papered over and ignored. I've reported on this repeatedly and it is a genuine concern, but it doesn't have to be. If London, Belf or London, Belfast, and Dublin behave like adults and Brussels shuts its mouth and gets out of the conversation, then this can be solved amicably to the mutual benefit of the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland. And the Irish on both sides of the border will be just fine. Amazon faces a $425 million fine over privacy from the European Union. This comes on top of France just fining Google. Consumer prices are surging in Biden's America. I've told you about this. I've repeatedly warned people ever since last year started with the pandemic. The supply chain woes were going to lead to inflation. And beyond that, we see the destruction of our economies, the woeful, intentional evisceration of our economies around the globe by feckless, clueless, shameless leftists who want people to be dependent facils of the state, serfs who look to the elites who elevate themselves as if there's some special sort of breed of homo sapien when they put their trousers on the exact same way the rest of us do and hopefully use the toilet in the same fashion. Consumer prices are on the rise and we are paying for it here and around the world. JBS, the meat packer, paid $11 million to the cyber criminals who hijacked its network. And the Centers for Disease Control and President Joe Biden himself have been sued over face coverings by a frequent traveler. 
I'll give to that the person who has an anxiety. So folks, those are the headlines for today, the 10th of June, 2021. Let's get to in-depth analysis of these news stories and commentary. Well, first off, out of the gate, apparently President Cyril Ramaphosa has lifted the restriction on the size of competing power to compete against the state carrier ESCOM. Now, my question is, does he have that authority? And if so, what the hell has he been waiting on? If all it took was a decree from the president of South Africa to lift the moratorium that prevents the free market from operating, then what was he waiting on? Seriously, the ANC is so detached from reality, people will starve and die in South Africa from a lack of electricity before these people were ever moved. And people have died and starved from a lack of electricity. Unbelievable. Ramaphosa announces urgent measures to reduce load shedding impact and achieve energy security. You would know what energy security is if somebody handed you the keys to the Saudi oil fields. As South Africa confronted the hardships of stage four load shedding this week, President Ramaphosa announced an increase to the NURSA licensing threshold for embedded generation products from one megawatt to 100 megawatts on Thursday. Okay, let me put that in, in, in English for the rest of the world. They have a state policy or a law that prevents electrical providers from providing electricity to the grid and to consumers so that the state entity, which is corrupt, it is staffed by patronage appointments, by thieving officials. It is devoid of qualified engineers who've been chased out based on their race, forced to go work abroad in places like France or Japan who cannot get jobs in South Africa simply because of their skin pigmentation. This inept, corrupt, fossilized disaster of a state utility which is also trying to monkey see, monkey do like the Europeans and reduce their climate impact by reducing their carbon footprint, mothballing functional coal-fired power plants and not replacing that generation capacity with anything. And now having these massive two projects that have been on the books for a dozen years and have yet to produce any significant amount of electricity, despite tens and hundreds of billions of rand poured into them. But all he had to do was wave a wand and sign a piece of paper. And now you can go from one megawatt to a hundred megawatts of capacity. This is the problem in South Africa. These idiots think they know what they're doing. They are completely clueless. Cyril Ramaphosa. All you had to do was strike a pen. Then what have we been waiting for? Carol Payton in Business Day comments on this as well. Embedded generation is widely regarded as the quickest way to bring additional megawatts onto the grid. Embedded generation, when a company produces electricity for its own use or by use by others, is widely regarded as the quickest way to bring additional megawatts onto the grid. Companies, mines, and farms are believed to have 5,000 megawatts in pent-up projects, which could be released if licensing requirements were lifted. ESCOM was on stage three load shedding on Thursday, dropping 3,000 megawatts demand from the grid. Well, if 5,000 came into the grid and it was all available for consumer use, that would take care of stage three, stage four, and possibly stage five. South Africa's finance minister, remember him, Tito Boini, last year said, we will not take money from the IMF and World Bank. We are a sovereign state. We will not listen to these outside interlopers. You will not intrude in our proud, proud sovereignty. A week later was overridden by his own government, which had pilfered and lost all the money in their coffers and had nothing left to steal. And so they said, hey, um, we're going to take the money. <laughs> Talk about looking like a buffoon. That was Tito Mbwini last year. Well, now he joins the chorus of the likes of UK's Sundata and the United States' Janet Yellen in demanding a global minimum tax rate for corporations. Quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the tax rate for corporations should be zero. 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 Not a nix yet. Nine. Nix in the Bahnhof. No taxes for corporations. Oh, you're a corporatist. Oh, you're an industrialist. No, I'm not. I'm a common sense person. Corporations create jobs. 
Why in the world would you want to take any resource away from a company that's creating jobs? Jobs are paramount, particularly in Africa. In countries like Uganda and Nigeria, where over half the population is under the age of 15, who's going to employ these people? Stop corporate taxation. In wealthy, advanced countries, many corporations simply find loopholes that governments put in place for them to avoid taxation by amortization of capital projects, by deferring taxes, by being able to park money elsewhere, by using other loopholes, and they don't pay much anyway. Eliminate the corporate tax and make yourself competitive. Let companies make jobs. People pay taxes on value-added taxes for goods and services that companies produce. There's taxation. The employees of these companies pay income tax. There's taxation. Corporate tax is a scam. It's always been a scam. Look at the U.S. federal budget and look at the tiny percentage of revenue to the federal government from corporate taxation. It was 35% with the highest in the world except for Japan at 39%. And then Trump lowered it into the 20s, still not low enough. Canada has a national corporate tax rate below 15%. No wonder our automotive industry moved to Ontario where they pay less than half the corporate tax. Even when you throw in provincial tax in Canada, they were still widely ahead of where they were in the United States. Tito Ambueni doesn't know anything about finance, and that's quite obvious. South African Finance Minister Tito Ambueni has joined the prominent global figures, or buffoons as I prefer to call them, including U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and German Vice Chancellor Olaf Scholz in a call to introduce a global minimum tax of 15%. It cited the fact that wealthy people, corporations doing much better than those at the bottom of the economic ladder, that governments desperately need revenue to rebuild their economies and make investments to support small business workers and families in need. So, because you screwed up your economy and for no reason destroyed it, Ibrahim Patel, no open-toed shoes, no cooked chicken, no e-commerce, but you can all pile in a combi with 35 people in a van and drive down the road. The taxi industry wasn't affected, spreading the pandemic all over South Africa. They weren't affected, but commerce was affected by you morons because you've destroyed your tax base because you don't effectively collect taxation because you discriminate against people based on race. We must pay for it? Foot sec, piss off, be gone. What a bunch of flying monkeys. Is this the Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witches? Ooh, stop it. Stop this nonsense. Instead of creating global standards for corporate taxation, you should be eliminating them. Should be no corporate tax. And then there'll be no malfeasance. It's easy to collect the income taxes off of earners' wages. The United States does it every damn week. It's easy to collect value-added tax. You've forced, you've co-opted merchants around the planet into doing that. And that's all you need. If you can't subsist as a government to meet our needs for the common defense, for mutual benefit, then you don't deserve to exist. Washington, D.C., Cape Town, Pretoria. Harare. For too long, revenue has been drawn too heavily from workers whose incomes are easy to report and calculate. Capital income is more difficult tax because capital is mobile and income more susceptible to sophisticated accounting games. Ah, well, didn't I just say that? Didn't I just say that? But that's not a justification because it's more complicated and because people use schemes. You're missing the boat entirely. You shouldn't be taxing corporations at all. At all. Case closed. Everybody's instantly competitive. If every nation in the world lowered their corporate tax rate to zero, we'd all be on a level playing field. But no, you want to steal money and that's less of money for research and development, for expansion, for job creation, for return of profit to shareholders who took the risk to invest in these companies so they could be created and succeed or expand. You morons are so left of center that you have no idea how economics works.
People buy things they want or need, not what the state tells them to buy. Well, good news for those hoping to travel to South Africa. I understand Dean Chance, he's currently there. Uh, a supporter of our channel. Thanks, Dean. Dean is out in South Africa right now doing some performances. He's the uh, singing cowboy from Texas, Dean Chancey. Hey, good to see that he's out there. But uh, for the rest of us hoping to travel around to Africa, it looks like the U.S. government is easing travel warnings, not restrictions, but warnings. U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has recommended easing travel restrictions for more than 110 countries and territories, including South Africa. South Africa had been ranked at level three alongside countries such as France, Mexico, Canada, and Russia. This is a downgrade from the highest level four, which discouraged all travel. Level three suggests that tourists reconsider travel, but does not actively advise against it. While travel to South Africa is still not recommended due to the pandemic and restrictions, U.S. travelers who are fully vaccinated using a recognized vaccine do not have to get tested before leaving the United States unless their destination country requires it. Is that a U.S. requirement? The U.S. is, is demanding we, we be vaccinated before we go somewhere? They can't do that. Or is that what South Africa is saying? Very confusing. Do not have to self-quarantine after arriving back in the United States. So this is vaccine segregation. That's what it is. This is vaccine apartheid. Sir Ron Pose is whining about vaccine apartheid. This is the vaccine apartheid right there. And I did predict this would be coming too. I did predict we would see this sort of apartheid coming. I wasn't alone, but most people weren't paying attention. I predicted this over a year ago, that if in fact they did have a vaccine or people already had it, then they would be treated differently and better. We see companies offering discounts. We see these idiots with a ban charging $1,000 for a ticket. Unless you can show your vaccination, then it's $18. That's a scam. These people are treating people differently. And in this country, at least, you're not allowed to treat people in that fashion. Not legally. People do it, but it's not legal. South Africa's ESCOM, their CEO, Andre de Reuter, who is the target of a malicious, vile, criminal, racist attack, which has now been dismissed because there was no merit to it, as we all knew, has reduced... ESCOM's massive debt load, this is a great relief to taxpayers in South Africa, by nearly 100 billion rand in just 18 months. Andre de Reuter has achieved something no other ESCOM CEO over the past 15 years could do, reduce debt. ESCOM's debt, securities, and borrowings increased from 30 billion in 2005 to over 488 billion in March of 2020. Less than 18 months after he took the helm at ESCOM, he reported that debt has been reduced by over 90 billion, from 496 billion to 401 billion. 95 billion rand reduction. So here's where you see ESCOM's debt over the last 15 years. You see the line where De Reuter is appointed as CEO? Look at that. He's He really is a racist. He's a racist against debt. <laughs> debt reduction is an amazing achievement, but the 400 billion in the books is still quite a bit. But he has a plan to continue reducing costs and reducing debt. Hopefully they can come up with a plan to deliver electricity to a electricity-hungry South African market because that's what's needed for job creation, for growth, for people's health and welfare, protecting medications, hospitals, respirators, all of that stuff. South African National Defense Forces bid fair, fond farewell to General Solishoka, who has been the commander-in-chief for nine years. Nine years. That's excessively long. In the U.S. military, it's 36 months and you're done. We don't do this nine-year nonsense. Uh, that does not allow for new blood to arrive at the top. But Solishoka, by all accounts, is a reasonably good uh, defense uh, chief. I've uh, met him in the past and uh, worked uh, reasonably well with him, but nine years is a bit much. He leaves now and he's replaced by his successor. President Ramaphosa praised General Shoka, saying the Sandef had achieved a lot under his leadership. Now, not to throw shade on General Shoka, but what exactly did he achieve? There's no mention of it in this article and no mention by Ramaphosa as to what exactly he did. Praised him saying he achieved a lot under his leadership. Shoka warned against budget cuts. Uh, the estimates put budget cuts to the SANDEF at over 15 billion rand in the medium-term expenditure framework. 
He says a country can't grow its economy if there's no security. That's true, General Shoka, but the security South Africans need is not from the SANDEF, it's from SAPs. That's a security. South Africans' greatest threat is not territorial integrity. It is threats internal inside the country from thieving, murdering criminal syndicates, random violence, things like that. So General Shoka, congratulations on your retirement uh, and best of luck on that. Here's a short video of when the change command took place uh, last week. and take over the command of the South African National Defense Force. of the Chief of the South African National Defense Force, General Armapshanya, will now be Mr. So help me God. Ladies and gentlemen, Pelican Formation. Pointer Formation. Air Force. The Jumbo Formation. Combat Formation. Thank God we have Grippens. And there you have to see uh, footage from the actual ceremony that took place when General Shoka retired. Congratulates him. Uh, not to throw shade on General Shoka, he's a decent person by all accounts in my experience, but seriously, when Ramaphosa is the slimmest fellow in the room, you know that uh, people are living a little too good. Good Lord. What kind of example is that set for your troops? Compare that to American generals. I'm not talking about World War II generals. I'm talking about contemporary generals. Fit, lean, hungry, healthy. Wow, what a difference. Botswana has turned to a South African firm to manage its state employees' pensions. Botswana's public officer's pension fund with 83 billion pula or 7.85 billion U.S. dollars in assets under management has appointed South African advisory firm NMG Benefits to administer the fund. Now, it's a joint venture, but they'll collect contributions, manage payrolls, and maintain records for the 156,000-member fund. The outsourcing the fund's administration is to comply with the 2017 decision by Botswana's regulators that all pension funds be managed by an independent administrator unconnected to the fund itself. Well, that's actual legislation that is to the benefit of citizens and to shareholders. You don't want a company managing its own pension fund. Then you have Enron. You have a situation in which employees are forced to buy the stock of the company they work for and not other companies or other assets, and then the company runs it. Well, that's a fox in the hen house. So Botswana passed a law in 2017, and that's why they've looked for an outside firm to do this. It's the same argument I've made with a national sovereign wealth fund, which South Africa needs and should have created in 1994, but ignored me and ignores this to the very day. Although Sir Ramaphosa announced a fictional 
National Sovereign Wealth Fund. I think it's just a kitty to stick money in so the Thule House can pilfer it. Where is that National Sovereign Wealth Fund and what resources have been put into it since he announced it in late 2017 or early 2018? Nothing. Nothing has come of that. So Botswana's uh, State Employees Pension Fund now has outside uh, oversight. Now, that doesn't mean you ignore them, but it does take the fox out of the hen house. Lucara, Canada's diamond exploration company, diamond mining company, which is active in Botswana, has done it again, ladies and gentlemen. They have done it again. Congratulations to Lucara. Interest to full disclosure, uh, it's a penny stock, and I own many pennies of that stock. I'm a shareholder in Lucara. Not that it's making many money, not even remotely, despite the fact they found one massive diamond after another. I don't understand why their stock doesn't do better. But Lucara recovers a 470-carat diamond from the Carway mine in Botswana. There it is. Look at that thing. Huge. It's pleased to announce a recovery of 470 carat top light brown cleavage diamond from its 100% caraway diamond mine located in Botswana. The diamond measuring 49 by 42 by 26 millimeters recovered from direct milling of ore sourced from the unit at South Lobe. The 470 carat recovery forms a notable contribution to a series of top quality gem and cleavage quality diamond recoveries during recent production run, including an additional five diamonds greater than 100 carats. At 265, 183, 161, 116, and 106 carats, and 13 diamonds between 50 and 100 carats in weight. The 490 carat diamond was recovered in the coarse XRT circuit and represents the third 300 plus carat diamond recovered to date in 2021 alone. Year to date, Caraway has produced 10 diamonds greater than 100 carats, including 6 diamonds greater than 200 carats, including the 341 carat and 378 carat top white diamonds recovered in January of 2021. Well, this is a mine that the government of Botswana gave up on, and these folks are doing an amazing job exploiting it. President Mokwetse, Mokwetse Eric Masisi has traveled to Tanzania for a state visit. Strangely, Botswana and Tanzania have very good diplomatic relations. This date backs at least to when Ian Kama was the president and his colleague in Tanzania were both former military officers, former generals, and so they had a good working relationship, very professional. The Botswana Defense Force took its first cohort of female officer candidates who enlisted into the Botswana Defense Force and sent them to Tanzania because the BDF was still unprepared to train them. And so they went there, they spent a year in Tanzania going through the officer candidate school there, and they learned Swahili. And they had no choice. Basic training is done in Swahili in Tanzania, and they had to learn it on the fly. Very tough situation for them, um, and it was uh, quite an interesting experience. Of the original 30, just 23 or 24 came back to Botswana. Commissioner's officers, a few washed out. One was, was injured horrifically on Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, she still to this day walks with a limp, but um, she couldn't continue to serve as a consequence of that. But Masisi is there, and one of the topics they're talking about is Swahili. Uh, South Africa has decided to introduce Swahili into the curriculum, spoken by indigenous speakers nowhere within thousands of miles of South Africa, yet they've decided to do it. Now, Masisi is in the same boat. He is in Tanzania, and he is talking about Swahili. Botswana and Tanzania's presidents expect to discuss issues of cooperation between the two countries in diplomatic relations, the use of Kiswahili in Botswana, trade and the economy, as well as how to further strengthen the SADC, the Southern African Development Community. Kiswahili is the national language of Tanzania, the only country in the world where it is a national language, and an official language of the East African community, which comprises Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and South Sudan. But nobody speaks Swahili in those meetings except the Tanzanians. SADC countries whose main languages are English, French, and Portuguese have been introducing Swahili in schools and includes... South Africa and Namibia. So this is the second official head of state visit to Tanzania since President Samia became president on March 19th after replacing John Magafuli, who died from the pandemic. Ethiopian Airlines celebrates its 75th year of existence this year. Congratulations, Ethiopian. 
a excellent carry, despite the fact that it's state-owned. It's uh, not run by the state. It's run by people who don't have to answer to the state, uh, although it profits from the state's um, ownership by promotion by the Ethiopian authorities. But it celebrates the 75th year this year, its anniversary. And it turns out that 2020, it was profitable. While the rest of the world's airlines lost their bums, they lost tons of money, Ethiopian actually was profitable. Ethiopian Airlines, which celebrates the 75th anniversary this year, is one of only three airlines in the world to have made a profit in 2020. The pandemic hit the aviation sector hard with global cumulative, loss, cumulative losses of $126 billion, out of which $1.6 billion was incurred by African Airlines. Ethiopian Airlines CEO Twole Gebre Meriam says the company demonstrated agility, quick decision-making, and resilience that have helped in the face of falling passenger traffic, which in Africa registered a 69% drop in 2020 compared to the previous year. Congratulations to Ethiopian. I endlessly promote them as a well-run airline even though they're state-owned, and I, I post state ownership. But in this case, it's hard to argue with the benefits that Ethiopian accrues and to the, the network they expand and provide services to Africans and to the rest of us trying to travel around the continent. They have been a great benefit to increase air travel and reduce the size of the continent for those trying to do business and cooperate across the continent. The governor of Nigeria has abandoned Twitter after <laughs> suspending Twitter in Nigeria. You may remember that President Buhari sent a tweet. Some Nigerians got their pants, their panties in a bind, and they decided that they were going to complain about it. So they complained, and then Twitter suspended Buhari for 12 hours. In response and retaliation, the government of Nigeria suspended and banned Twitter from use in Nigeria and threatened people who went to the site with criminal action. Well, they've abandoned Twitter, and they've moved to coup, coup. Coup. What is Coup, you might ask? If you're not familiar with Coup, Coup is a social media site that uh, is big in India. So here you go. Government of Nigeria creates official account on Coup following Twitter ban. The government's first post was to do with the documentary in Nigeria that will be aired on the 12th of June in commemoration of Democracy Day. Spreading wings beyond India now, wrote Radhakishirna while tagging his co-founder Mandek Bidawataka. This is an Indian company. That's why he's saying that. Coup is available in Nigeria. We are thinking of enabling local languages there too. What say you? And this is Coup, in case you're not familiar with it. That's Coup. Check out the little bird there. Even looks like Twitter, except they're using yellow instead of gold instead of instead of. But look at all the people that you see on here. They're all Indians. All Indians. So you get to pick the language when you start, and you can explore and find out about people and training. So Coup. And here the website, now it's an app for your phone, of course, but on the browser, it's kooapp.com, K-O-O-A-P-P.com. So look, it's all Indians. So maybe we should flood this and put some um, other folks, some Africans and Anglo-Saxons on here just to um, spread their wings. But that's Koo, folks. Check out Koo. It's interesting. Well, East African finance ministers met last year along with several other finance ministers around the continent in Addis and demanded debt relief. We must have debt relief before COVID even hit the continent. They wanted debt relief. Well, they've gotten lots of debt relief from the International Monetary Fund, from the World Bank, uh, and it's just been forgiven. All the while, deeping their pockets, reaching in and getting more money. Ghana issued over $3 billion worth of euro bonds recently with 0% interest rate, which means that you're going to get less money back than you paid. How is that? Well, if $100 is $100 today with 2% inflation, after 30 years when you get all that money back, you've got less money than you put in because the value is worth less. And they actually issued it and it was oversubscribed. People bought their debt because there's no alternative, attractive place to park their money right now. But East Africa, complaining about debt relief, demanding debt relief 
in one conversation at one side of their mouth, turning around and borrowing money in record amounts out of the other side of their mouth. Gee, this couldn't go badly. East Africa seeks $16 billion of debt to boost economic growth. East Africa's largest economies plan to borrow at least $16 billion to fund an economic revival while striving to ease their debt burdens after the, yeah, by, by guilting people. <clears throat> Finance ministers in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania will present their 2021-2022 spending plans on Thursday, providing details of funding key projects, including railways and ports in the wake of heavy indebtedness. They'll contend with budget shortfall of $16 billion in the fiscal year. So this isn't even for long term. This is just to fill the gaps in their current budget. It just shows you how ineffective these governments are at running their own economies, taxing their own economy, taxing their own citizens. They expect the rest of us to carry the weight for them. Well, speaking of carrying the weight for people, how about a buffoonish, idiotic assembly created to give African elites yet another place to pilfer and pocket money and feel self-important? That's right, the Pan-African Parliament, folks. That's what I'm talking about. An organ of the African Union with no sovereignty, no legislative authority whatsoever ever over any of its signatories. And here we have Juju, Julius Malami, getting into fisticuffs in the Pan-African Parliament. You may ask why? Well, that's because it sits in South Africa. Foolishly, it's in South Africa. The Pan-African Parliament can only be saved if MPs truly represent African citizens in the African Union, according to the ISS. Chaotic scenes the Pan-African Parliament in Johannesburg last week have prompted a strong reaction from across the continent. African Union Commission Chairperson Musa Fakamahat called the PAP activities must be suspended until the issues around electing a new president and bureau were settled. Instances of exposed an institution that, except for recurrent scandals of corruption, has hitherto existed in obscurity. Well, no more. Juju has opened the door. Now people know what a useless body this is, milking Africans out of money. A lot of people ask whether it's even worth maintaining. The African Union pays $15 million annually in considerable sums to member states whose delegates attend the sittings. So it's a lot more than $15 million. By the way, the African Union doesn't pay that. Who pays 85% of the African Union's budget, its operating budget? The European Union and the United States, not Africans. Africans don't pay for the African Union. We do. We subsidize the African Union so you can feel good about yourselves. And people in Addis can get diplomatic plates and travel around and have an argument and complain about this, complain about that and accomplish very little. We pay. We pay. You do not. Africans pay virtually nothing to the African Union. And it has no sovereignty over you anyway. So what's the point? Bojo, Boris Johnson is under fire in the United Kingdom over Northern Ireland as the Manchurian cadaver makes his way to the United Kingdom. Boris Johnson always looks like his finger just came out of the electrical mains there, just like stuck his finger in the socket. Brexit trouble overshadows Biden and Johnson's first meeting. Brexit trouble? What Brexit trouble? The United Kingdom is not in the European Union. Brexit is over. Or is it? The British Prime Minister is set to welcome President Joe Biden, his fellow traveler in the theft of liberty from their citizens, to Cornwall for a bilateral meeting today where the pair are scheduled to discuss a new Atlantic Charter, a modern update to the joint statement between Winston Churchill and Franklin Delano Roosevelt on the challenges facing the world after the Second World War. This is not a good development, ladies and gentlemen. Thursday's talks will most likely be overshadowed by heated discussions on the current and very real danger of violence erupting in Northern Ireland. Let me make this clear, folks. There is no violence in Northern Ireland. There is no violence in Northern Ireland. This is an attempt by the media to create an environment to foster violence so they have a story to report on. That's what's going on here. Now, there are issues with the border, the inner Irish border between the northern counties of Northern Ireland, which is an integral part of the United Kingdom and overwhelmingly Protestant, and the rest of the island, which is the Republic of Ireland and is overwhelmingly Catholic. There are issues there, but it's a very simple solution. If you are a citizen of Northern Ireland, you're a citizen of the UK as well, 
and you are or you're a citizen of the Republic of Ireland, then you should have no requirements for travel restrictions. You should be able to travel freely between the two and the problem solved. If you are like myself, an American who travels to Dublin and wishes to go to Belfast, then I need to present a passport. And if I have a valid means to enter the United Kingdom, then I should be allowed to go in. Simple as that. Simple as that. This is not complicated. This is not complicated. But what they don't want is they don't want to see border posts re-erected. Well, that's ludicrous. They're two separate countries. Of course, border posts should be erected. People need to get over themselves in this idiocy. But this is what's on the table today as we see Bojo in Cornwall with the Manchurian cadaver. Two more cartoonish characters one could not paint. I have to tell you that Boris Johnson was one of the most amazing mayors of London, but he's one of, been one of the most disappointing prime ministers of the United Kingdom, particularly for a Tory. I thought Theresa May was bad. Ah, this guy is proving to be quite a disaster. You have to wonder if contracting the virus didn't have some impact on his mental well-being and his outlook on life. Amazon facing a possible $425 million fine from the European Union over privacy. Case relates to allegations they violate general data protection regulation, which is obtrusive, overbearing, and doesn't protect consumers. It harms businesses. European Union privacy regulators proposed a fine of more than $425 million. Luxembourg's Data Protection Commission, the CNPD, ominously that, that acronym, has circulated a draft decision sanctioning Amazon's privacy practices by proposing a fine among the bloc's 26 other national authorities. Amazon's lead privacy regulator in the EU because Amazon has its EU headquarters in the Grand Duchy. The Luxembourg case relates to alleged violations of Europe's general data protection regulation linked to Amazon's collection and use of personal data and isn't related to its cloud computing business, Amazon Web Services. One of the people familiar with the matter said, actually, I think the cloud services be the one to be more in danger. Amazon should be allowed to collect data that you voluntarily freely give to them in order to present you with shopping options. They should be allowed to do that. But perhaps it's deeper than that. Here in the United States, the government is lying and has been lying about price increases and about inflation in the economy, which is eviscerating the livelihoods and the quality of life and the standard of living of Americans across the continent. That's right. Finally, more honest but not entirely accurate reports are coming out of our government indicating that inflation is off the charts, 5% annual inflation. Now, I know for people in Zimbabwe that experience trillions of percent inflation, you're like, what are you talking about? Well, this is a massive figure in an economy of 20 well, an economy, yeah, of, of $25 trillion a year. This is an incredibly large increase, incredibly large. Consumer prices surged 5% the most since August of 2008. Used car and truck sales spiked 7.3% in May. U.S. consumer prices increased in May at the fastest annual rate in 13 years as the economic comeback from lockdowns continues to build momentum. Labor Department said Thursday the consumer price index in May rose 5% year over year, hotter than the 4.7% that was anticipated. And I suspect that figure is wildly underreported because that's what the government does. It cooks the numbers. It cooks the numbers. JBS, the meatpacking company, which saw its entire electronic system in jeopardy, paid cyber criminals $11 million ransom. That's correct, folks. Just like Colonial Pipeline, they paid the ransom. CEO Andre Nogura of JBA USA called it a very difficult decision to make. However, we felt the decision had to be made to prevent any potential risk to our customers. Well, I have to tell you, um, um, Andre, now you've uh, opened the door to other malicious actors and malfeasant actors who will simply step up the attacks on companies to demand more cyber ransom. And just like you don't give in to terrorist demands, you don't give in to cyber criminal demands. You don't. You should have had better backup systems. You should have better security. You should have been better prepared for this. 
and now you've opened the floodgates just like Colonial Pipeline. Foolish behavior. You do not deal with criminals who threaten you in this fashion. A frequent traveler has sued the Centers for Disease Control and Joe Biden for their unconstitutional facial covering mandate on public transport. A Washington man has filed a federal lawsuit against the CDC and Joe Biden and several other agencies challenging that the facial covering mandate on transportation systems. Lucas Wall, who described himself as a frequent traveler, argued in his lawsuit that having to wear facial coverings on transport systems is unconstitutional, particularly while traveling within a state. And I would have to agree with him. The federal government doesn't have the ability to regulate commerce inside of a state. They are improper, illegal, and unconstitutional exercises of executive authority. Correct. It's executive overreach. The president doesn't have that authority. And to claim it is simply fraudulent. Wall, who's fully vaccinated, was turned away from transportation security managers by TSA agents in Orlando on June 2nd when they saw he wasn't wearing a facial covering. No, I will not wear a facial covering. That's why I have my vaccination card. The agent told Wall he needed a mask to fly to Orlando to Fort Lauderdale. He refused to wear it, saying that he suffers from anxiety and breathing difficulties. I'm a frequent traveler, having flown more than 1.5 million miles to visit 134 nations as well as all 56 U.S. states and territories. I'm currently stranded at my mother's house in the villages of Florida because the defendant TSA refused to let me board a flight out of Orlando for not wearing a facial covering, even though I have a qualifying disability. Due to my generalized anxiety disorder, I have never covered my face. There you go. The mask mandates have ignored countless scientific and medical data showing that face masks are totally ineffective. I'm not going to, uh, that, that's his claim. That's his claim in a lawsuit. That's, that's not a scientific statement. He claims that in his lawsuit. I'm simply reporting the news here. Google's AI, simply reporting the news. That's all. Saying that Biden has no legal authority to do that, and I would agree with that portion of what he had to say. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the news and headlines for today, the 10th of June, 2021, on an early edition of Indaba African News of the Day. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you here later in the day for the Night Owls stream on Indaba Africa. Chris White, Africa. Thanks a lot, folks.